Hey, you're listening to Can I Say That? with Brenna and Austin Blaine. Hey friends, I'm glad you're here. Today we have a challenging one for you guys. Our friend Aaron Salvato came in to share about his personal opinions and observations about progressive Christianity. Maybe this topic of progressive versus conservative or fundamental Christianity is new to you, or maybe you've been really involved with this topic for a while. And although the focus is on progressive Christianity, I think Aaron raises some really good challenges for both people who fall into a progressive camp and for those who also fall into a fundamental camp. Aaron is currently the founder and director of the Goodline Podcast Network, and so I'd love to invite you guys and encourage you guys to check out the shows that they have on there. They have a plethora. I don't think that I've actually ever used that word before, so there you go. A plethora of shows to choose from that will challenge and grow your faith. So one last thing before we get into this interview, if you are listening to this right now on Apple Podcasts, whether it's on your desktop or on your phone, would you scroll down and leave us a review? Let us know why do you listen to our show? And if you don't use Apple Podcasts, or maybe you've already left a review, but you want to be a part of promoting the challenging conversations that we're having on this show, tag us on your Instagram story or your Facebook and let us know why you choose to be a part of the Can I Say That community. Every DM, every tag, every email we read, and I was so impressed and excited and just honored by the way you guys shared our last episode. So I want to say thank you truly from the bottom of my heart. We are not sponsored. We are not paid. We do all of this because we feel called to. And so every time that you share or give us a review or tell people to listen, that grows our audience and grows our reach which means people who are just like you and me who have wondered and wrestled with does god really care about these difficult issues or these taboo topics can hear people having a conversation and find a sense of community knowing that god really does deeply care about our questions All right, so Aaron, what is the definition of progressive Christianity? Is there even like a concrete definition? Because I know for a lot of people, it means different things. You know, I want to be really sensitive as I get into this because I don't want to sound like I'm preaching at anyone. I want to sound like I'm talking with you, the audience, and and you, Brenna. And I think, like, I'm guessing that there may be many progressive Christians listening to this, maybe. And so, you know, I want to speak with sensitivity and even be open to pushback and dialogue about it. So my definition for progressive Christianity would be this, just based on my personal experience with it. So it's not like the definition. This is just my definition. I would say it's Christianity that focuses on progressing away from any part of Christianity and the faith that it deems problematic and redefining Christianity to be more in line with a culturally progressive ideal. And I think in order to get there, progressive Christians sacrifice the authority of scripture and they trade it in for the authority of culture. And to me, that's the biggest danger in it. It's nothing new 
because it's it's really the natural evolution of what it's been called like the emerging church movement or postmodern Christianity. There's always been in my mind Christians that are more conservative, more fundamentalist, and then Christians that are a little bit more loose. And I think that looseness has kind of been repackaged lately as what we would call progressive Christianity. What are what are the common marks or the common held beliefs when we look at progressive Christianity? I've got five, if that's okay. One mark, I think, would be a lowered view of the Bible. Um, Historically, Christians view the Bible as the Word of God and authoritative for their lives. Progressive Christians, they often abandon those terms and they emphasize personal belief um, over biblical mandate. And I think if I was listening to this podcast and I was somebody who maybe leaned more progressive Christian, I would maybe listen to like, you know, me say that and be like, ah, oh, this Aaron guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, that sounds like a, you know, a, a very extreme caricature. You know, you might be a progressive Christian and think like, oh, I take the Bible seriously. But from this is just my experience. I was talking to a friend of mine who would identify as a very progressive Christian, right? And we were talking about some issue in the Bible. I can't even remember what the issue was, but I was saying like, well, hey, like this is what it says and look at like the Greek and the Hebrew. And this is what the text, the text is actually saying. What do you say? And her response was like, you know what? Words don't actually have meaning. Words mean whatever we want them to. We put the meaning into the words and we define for ourselves um, what the interpretation is. And, you know, to me, it's, it's frustrating because I think we always have to wonder, like, what is the intent of an author? Like, why did they write what they wrote? What was the purpose? Does a, does a stop sign mean stop, right? Like, if, if someone puts up a stop sign, we would hope to interpret them correctly. Otherwise, if you think stop means go, you're going to get into a traffic accident. So, you know, for me, I'm fine. Like, th- this is my thing. If somebody disagrees with me on something in the Bible, I'm not going to say, oh, you're, you're a progressive Christian because you disagree with me. If you can try to defend your disagreement from Scripture, I'm fine. To have that conversation about really anything. If we can talk about scripture and get into the nuance and debate of different interpretations. Uh, but if if we just say, you know, this means whatever I choose it to, to me, that goes against everything that we know about any written work. I, you know, I think one thing I've seen progressive Christians do that is important is they point out that Jesus is the true word of God, right? They'll say things like, well, you know, the Bible's not the word of God. Uh, Jesus is the true Word of God, like, you know, capital W, Word of God. And I think when we say the Bible is the Word of God, we actually have conflict with the Bible because the Bible itself says that Jesus is the Word of God. You know, God's message and truth to the world is Jesus, but, like, the Bible is the vehicle that God chose to communicate that truth. Like, the Bible is God's words. It's God's words about His Word, Jesus. And that's where the authority comes from. It's the words He chooses to say and the story he chooses to tell and you know the meaning of all life and eternity is like bound up in those scriptures so they're very important so that's the first one i'll just say really quickly that um i am not an expert on this i mean i didn't even like go to seminary i did one semester of bible college the the reason that this topic interests me is i spent 10 years as a youth pastor around uh, about 10 years and i watched a lot of my former students drift into this and so you know, I was raised more conservative politically. I don't really identify as a 
political conservative or liberal. Theologically, though, I would consider myself conservative, but called to be open-minded perspectives of others, if that makes sense. And watching some of my students drift into progressive Christianity, I've seen some good things that have come out of that, but then I've seen actually a lot of negative things. So it's out of it's really out of love that I'm interested in this topic because I, I don't want to see people drift into directions I would think would be harmful, if that makes sense. So the second marking of progressive Christianity would be feelings are emphasized over truth. So it's this idea of personal experience and feelings and opinions tend to be valued above objective truth. Um, The Bible stops being viewed as God's definitive word, and it's what a person feels to be true becomes the ultimate authority for faith and, and practice. And I'm sure that every Christian has at times read something in the Bible and wrestled with it and said, like, I don't like that. Like, have have you ever read something in the Bible and been like, oh, of course, I, like this morning. <laughs> what was it? Thinking about suffering in the, the fact that God still calls us to be faithful to him while we are in the midst of suffering. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> um for me, like, I personally don't like hell, honestly. Like, I would love to see everyone saved. Like, I actually, I, I don't know if this is controversial to say, but I I actually wish universalism was true. But as I study scripture, I can't deny the Bible seems to say a lot about final judgment. And it, it seems that even though God wishes that none would perish, the Bible tells us some would. So, you know, for me, it's like, man, even though I have these feelings about hell, my feelings on the matter don't really trump what the scripture says. So there's a lot of respectable like debate and nuance about what hell is and isn't, you know, when you get into like the nitty gritty of like, are the flames real or is it some metaphorical, metaphysical, crazy spiritual realm thing? But like most historical church scholarship through Christianity's existence would affirm the idea of hell and final judgment. So yeah, it's one of those things for me where it's like you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's uh, the second one. The third one is essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. There's a progressive author named John Pavlitz who said, there are no sacred cows in progressive Christianity. Tradition and dogma and doctrine are all fair game because they all pass through the hands of flawed humanity. So it's this idea of like, well, you know, God is true, but the Bible was written by humans. So like, can we really trust it? Like, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Or or a big one today would be, um, you know, the church's historic position on sexuality is like archaic and uh, it doesn't fit with our modern framework. So we need to update it based on the modern framework that we get. That's the third one. The fourth one would be uh, historic terms being redefined. You know, so it's like the terms that we have seen throughout our life in scripture, like love, you know, God is love. Well, we move from what the scripture says about God is love to instead assuming, well, if God is love, then he wouldn't actually punish sinners, right? Or like, well, the Bible is authoritative, but, you know, we've misunderstood it for the first 2000 years or, or even like, you know, with sin, like, oh, it's not our job to talk to anyone about sin. It's our job to just love them. And it's like... Here's the thing, and I'll talk more about this later. Progressive Christianity, a lot of times, is a reaction to far extreme legalistic fundamentalism, where you have Christians just being so harsh and hateful uh, and and angry towards sinners, and and also self righteous and hypocritical and judgmental. And so, you know, man, I've talked to young people who were just bashed for the dumbest things, like young people where it's like, I went to church and because I was dressed in all black and, 
you know, like I talked to this one girl, you know, who's kind of like a goth, you know, and because she had, you know, dyed her hair black and wore black lipstick and nail polish, it's like the people at church talked to her at this, you know, very fundamentalist church and treated her like she was trash and this horrible subhuman uh, person. That's just one snapshot of an example, right? Like where people are treated harm, they're, they're harmed, they're treated horribly in a church setting, which sadly happens all the time. So then people, they pivot really far to the left progressive and they say, well, because I was mistreated and I was unloved by somebody, that makes me think because God is love, he just would accept anything and everything. And I, it, it's never my job to call anyone out on their sin. Uh, it's just my call to love and accept people. It's like my frustration is can't we have both? Like can't we love and accept people but then also love them enough to say, hey, I, you're walking off a cliff, man. Like I don't want you to walk off that cliff. Like come back on the shore, you know, with me. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I think it, it goes with this idea of Jesus who meets us with radical embrace but also calls us to a, a radical obedience you're hitting the nail on the head. Yeah, Jesus doesn't just come down and say, if you love me, you'll love me and I'll love you. <laughs> he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And it's not like Jesus, this domineering, legalistic, like I've got, the, you know, I've, I'm making a list and checking it twice, like Santa, I've got my rules and I'm making sure you're keeping every one. It's Jesus saying, I am a shepherd trying to keep sheep from walking off a cliff. I'm trying to lead them to like paradise, green pastures. And I just need them to listen to what I say because I know what's best. And so, yeah, that's that's going back to what I said. It's the authority piece. It's progressive Christianity oftentimes doesn't want the authority of Jesus. They just want the love of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you need both. You need my love and you need my authority. And then this is the last one, the fifth one. Uh, the heart of the gospel message uh, shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. And uh, by the way, I, I got all these five points from uh, Elisa Childers, um, who has done some great work on this. So look her up. She's got great stuff. But so she points out the heart in progressive Christianity, the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. Let me say this. I don't think the problem is social justice itself. I don't think social justice should be a dirty word, um, although it often, do you, I mean, do you find that it is in the church that people like really get bent out of shape when you say social justice? I think in very conservative circles, social justice is looked at as a, as a false gospel. And in some ways it is when that's what we buy into. But then in other ways, I see like what you're probably going to explain that it really is within the the threads of our gospel you're again you're hitting it right on the head so it's like although there's this modern secular progressive idea of social justice that i feel like has strayed away from the original idea of it the term social justice has christian roots and the idea of social justice i mean it was it was jesuit priests that were the first ones that started using this term and the idea of social justice in its earliest forms is rooted in the Hebrew Old Testament ideals of justice and mercy and righteousness. And that's a whole, I could do a whole episode on that. But, you know, treating everyone around you, the idea is treating everyone around you, regardless of their wealth or class or power, as if they're made in the image of God and then being willing to do the same thing Yahweh does, you know, our God, right? Yahweh, and bend over backwards to show mercy to someone who doesn't even deserve it. And, you know, the church that I work, used to work at, right, Calvary Vista, they were doing biblical social justice, even though they would never call it that because, you know, 
<laughs> they were very conservative politically. And so to them, it's a dirty word because of the way Fox News frames it. Um, but they, they were doing a homeless ministry. And they had a, an open door policy. Any homeless person could come in and get food. We had a food pantry and we would sometimes clothe them with clothes that other people had donated. We'd give them water. We'd give them a Bible. We'd talk with them. We'd pray with them. Sometimes we'd help them financially. So we had this amazing social justice ministry. And then on top of that, you know, we're helping widows and orphans and visiting the sick. So social justice is actually a good thing when it's done biblically. The problem is when it becomes the emphasis. In the early 20th century in the United States and Canada, there was something called the social gospel movement. And it was this idea that moved from like preaching the gospel so that lives become transformed and, and people live out the gospel in their communities after their lives become transformed. Once you become saved and become a follower of Jesus, ideally, you should start doing social justice. You should start living out the gospel in your neighborhood and loving everybody you come in contact with and even, you know, advocating for the poor and the oppressed, right? That's a good thing. But the idea of the social gospel was instead of preaching the gospel so lives become transformed, it was focusing on trying to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth through action and activism and environmentalism and racial justice and uh, progressive sexual activism. And some of those things may be good and needed, but without the gospel giving people a chance to turn and repent of sin and without teaching the authority of King Jesus, you're left with the kingdom without the king, which is what Mark Sayers loves to say, and I love that. It's putting the cart before the horse. And there's a there's a missionary I was listening to, and he summed this up perfectly. I can't remember who this was, but he was talking about how in the 60s, um, he would go on these organized missions trips, but it was with this missions agency that was much more progressive Christian social gospel. And so they would go and they would feed the hungry and they would uh, give them clothes, right? But they never preached the gospel to them. And he was like, so really what we're doing is we're giving them a full belly and a warm coat on the way to their journey to hell. And, and he was saying that if we don't give them the gospel, then nothing else matters. We should give them food. We should give them clothes, but we have to give them uh, the gospel. So that's the five, the five points. Uh, don't thank me. Thank, thank Alyssa. I just expanded on her thoughts. So I'm a huge advocate for people being able to do their own research and their own journey of trying to figure out, okay, what do I believe or have I been believing something that isn't really biblical truth? So I think something important I need to ask is who are some of the prominent progressive Christian leaders and authors and speakers that many Christians listen to today? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've known some of these guys and I did a little bit of research today on this. Um, it's worth looking into, especially if you have a heart like mine where you want to be a missionary to more progressive people. And I, and I think uh, we, we, we far too often can write off people and say like, oh, I don't want anything to do with it. I think, no, like learn about their world. So here, here are different ways you can learn. Um, one would be Rob Bell, a hugely controversial guy. He was in the evangelical world, pastor, and then uh, you know, he kept pushing the boundaries through his books and preaching, and then the bubble burst when he wrote the book uh, Love Wins. And he sort of made this argument of, um, I think it was hell not existing, and uh, he was very open to the idea of universalism, which you know is the idea that everyone will be saved, and no matter what, you know, no matter what sin, uh, even if you don't accept Jesus, you'll be saved. And so 
um, yeah, that, that was one he's, he's very popular in the progressive Christian movement. Um, have you heard of Shane Claiborne? Claiborne? So he's a Christian activist. He's actually written some really engaging stuff. He's got some interesting stuff on the death penalty. Um, he's got a book called Executing Grace. Another guy is Pete Enns. He's a biblical scholar who uh, was suspended from his teaching job at Westminster Seminary for writing a book about evangelicals and the problems of the Old Testament. And he focuses a lot on pointing out contradictions in the Bible. And then um, another guy, or not guy, sorry, another girl uh, would be Rachel Held Evans. Came onto the scene in 2010. She wrote this book called uh, Evolving in Monkey Town. <laughs> it's been renamed as uh, Faith Unraveled, but she documents you know, her, her own journey of faith deconstruction and then reconstruction. And she spent a lot of her adult life challenging the harmful role that she believed conservative American culture played in Christianity. And uh, she has four popular books and talks, and uh, she was on Twitter a lot. And uh, she called for, uh, one of the things she constantly called for was like an intersectional approach to Christianity that embraced uh, people of color and LGBTQ people and women and all roles of the church. And so that was kind of her uh, her MO. So I think you, you kind of already touched on this when you're going through your points, but in your personal opinion, does progressive Christianity fall within the lines of biblical Christianity, if we're saying the Bible is authoritative and that's what dictates how we live our life and why or why not do you believe that? So I think there are many things that progressive Christians emphasize that I think are good things uh, that more cons- the more conservative wing of the faith has often failed to recognize. But I think this is the problem. Any version of Christianity that does not hold Jesus as revealed through the scriptures as the authority is dangerous. And I think we have to be able to acknowledge the things that are baseline beliefs of our faith. If we throw out the authority of scripture, we're going to be left with a faith that is just based on the opinions of different Christians and pastors. And so my former youth pastor is a guy named uh, Evan Wickham. He's been a really good friend and mentor to me over the years, and uh, I follow him on social media, and he's always dropping wise things on there. And uh, he made a really good point once. He was talking about the difference between fundamentals and fundamentalism. Uh, he said fundam- the fundamentals are just basic baseline substances of things. Like, he's a musician. So he says, uh, the fundamentals of music is music theory. It addresses the question, what is music fundamentally? And, and hopefully by the end of Music 101, we're going to agree on what middle C is. As relative and flexible and undefinable as art can be, if you and I disagree on what the key of C is, then our band is going to suck. And then he talks about fundamentalism, which is something many who are progressive Christians ran away from because they found fundamentalist Christianity to be abusive and harsh and harmful. And so uh, this is what Evan says. Fundamentalism is often not a commitment to the fundamentals, but a pre-commitment to only see things from a harsh, rigid, and unflinching point of view. It doesn't educate, it only indoctrinates. Fundamentalism decides before the discussion even starts. And then, like, here's the fascinating thing to me. In his view, harsh, hyper-conservative Christianity and hyper-progressive Christianity are just two sides of the same fundamentalist coin. He says, contrary to popular opinion, fundamentalism isn't just a conservative thing. It's prevalent on the progressive end of the spectrum as well, though it looks different. So he uses this example. Uh, Conservatives would say, 
either accept our old-fashioned, truly spirit-led version of church or you're out. But then progressives say, either accept our modern, truly inclusive sexual ethic or you're out. And then he says, uh, fundamentalism leans legalistic. In conservative fundamentalism, legalism often manifests as moral rules beyond biblical commands. And like the examples are almost endless. Uh, he talks about growing up in conservative evangelicalism in the 1980s, both drinking and dancing were like forbidden and would get you booted from the tribe, despite, you know, plenty of scriptures pointing to the beauty and goodness of both like uh, dancing and drinking in moderation without getting drunk. So he says this is textbook legalism, but interestingly, this fundamentalist legalism is becoming just as prevalent in religious progressivism, though it takes different forms. So he says, in progressive legalism, if a person does not pay uh, respect to the moral superiority of individual authenticity and self-expression, then that person is in danger of getting booted from the tribe. In progressive legalism, the self is the ultimate arbiter of morality, and telling another person no is the ultimate evil, which will then get you booted from the tribe. This is simply fundamentalism from the left side of the coin. I just... I thought that was brilliant when I read it. And I was like, I, I've got to steal that and read that on the show. You used the phrase earlier, eat the meat, spit out the bones. So what are some things that you think progressive Christians do well that conservative Christians could learn from them? That's a good question. One thing is they're willing to deconstruct. And I think that actually can be a good thing. So I think we all grow up in traditions of faith, every one of us. Um, I grew up in the Calvary Chapel movement, which I'm super grateful for. Well, I think everybody who grew up in the church, at some point you're gonna you're gonna face the reality that one of your leaders got something wrong. Um, you know, whether it was a Sunday school teacher or a youth pastor or a senior pastor or a small group leader, like you're gonna face that somebody at some point is gonna teach you something that's not actually in line with scripture and it's more their own opinion or just maybe uh, their own, you know, twisting of something or maybe someone taught them something wrong. Like, like here's case in point. This is really fringe, but there's literally Christians out there who believe and teach <laughs> that Christian men must show their dominance and leadership in the home by spanking their wives when their wives disobey them and are disrespectful, which, I mean, I can laugh at it, but it's also really toxic and, and bad. <laughs> like, in my humble opinion, I think it's easily refutable by scripture that, like, that, that is not right. <laughs> that's not what the Bible's calling us to do. And so I think that's where deconstruction is key, right? Man, I'm, I, was trying, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, and it's like, progressives love to deconstruct but they don't do a lot of proper reconstruction. It's like they burn the house down and then they go and find another house. And my thing is like, like for instance, it'd be like if, if, I, if, I, if I had this house and it was a good house, but then inside the house I found termites, right? Like I found something in the house that wasn't right, a pest. The proper thing to do is to call the exterminator, don't destroy your house, like go and fix what's broken with the house, go repair what's wrong with it. But with progressivism, what we do is we burn, because we had a problem here with this theology and with that thing, and someone was rude to us in this way, oftentimes we burn the entire thing down and then we move into this entirely new and different form of Christianity. And uh, I think that's where uh, the danger is. So like I said, deconstruction is good, but the goal should always be to build your faith back up stronger, identify what's wrong, and then replace it with what's right. And 
man, I think another thing that progressive Christians do well that I would commend them for and that I, I want to adopt into like my own ministry and I want to continue to is, um, empathy and compassion for those who are in sin. And I just think like a prime example is, uh, the LGBT community, uh, many in the church during, you know, the seventies and eighties and nineties did a terrible job with, uh, the LGBT community, you know, making them feel like they're the worst of the worst. I've, man, I've, I remember sitting in one sermon when I was, uh, I was going to a friend's church and there was a friend, uh, there who I knew was, um, he, he was, he was a gay guy. And, um, the pastor was talking about homosexuality in a way that just made anybody struggling with that feel like they were the worst of the worst. And I was just like, what are we doing? Like, we don't talk about any other sins this way. With every other sin, it's like we're preaching with, you know, the idea of hope and repentance and renewal and help. But with this one sin, it's like, man, we talk about it as if it's the, like, if you struggle with it, you're this freak. And and I just think that's so sad. I think I think we need to acknowledge, right? There's a difference between uh, temptation and acting on it, right? Like if somebody comes to you as a pastor and says like, you know, hey, pastor, I'm struggling with um, these temptations, to treat them like they are in some horrible sin because they're tempted sexually, just as like in the same way straight people deal with sexual temptation, that doesn't mean that they're this horrible, broken person. Um, I, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine one time and he said, at his church, there was a young boy who uh, was struggling with homosexual tendencies. And the mom went to one of the other pastors of the church, uh, one of the assistant pastors, and was like, hey, uh, my son is struggling with this. What do I do? And the pastor said, shame him, like mock him, make fun of him, like just call him horrible names until he basically decides to go back to being straight. And it's just like, oh, it kills me. And, and so the progressive side of it they're very inclusive and open and and loving to people struggling with these things. But then the problem for me is they abandon the idea of sin. And it's just, it's so hard because it's an extreme reaction, right? To, to that very harsh conservative way of thinking. But to me, it's like, it's, there's two sides to it. Like progressive Christians tend to say, I don't feel like God would make this a sin. So it isn't. And like my problem with that is if something is sin in scripture, we should care because sin hurts people's relationship with God. But for those of us who are theologically conservative, the response to that sin should be truth in love. Like we've been shown grace. We are called to show it to others. We are sinners saved by grace. So who are we to like come down on anyone else? LGBT people aren't the enemy. They are people who need Jesus just like us. And and I think they should feel like Christians, especially non-affirming Christians. Like that, you know, for us as non-affirming Christians, I think we need to be bending over backwards to show LGBTQ people love and friendship and grace and mercy while still being willing to like point out that sin when the conversation comes up in the most gentle, loving way. Like, and I'll just say this too, um, man, what I wish someone would have taught me about when I was growing up was the Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction, and yet they choose to live a life of c committing to follow what Jesus says about sexuality. 
no one told me about that. I, I didn't, I didn't even know that existed until much later. And it's just so important for Christians to know about that, like especially young Christians. I, I remember one time um, at a youth group event, um, there was a bunch of my high school boys, and they were making gay jokes and like mocking gay people. And I pulled them aside and just took. I we went into my car. You know, there was about three or four of them, and I said, "Hey guys, let's go have a talk." You know, away from the other kids, a private talk. And so, I, I put them in my car, and I just was like, "Hey guys, like imagine." that I, as your youth pastor, said to you, I'm coming to you and telling you that scripture says that your attraction to women is actually not according to God's plan and design, and you can't act on it. If you want to follow Jesus, you can't act on that attraction. So that means you can't get married to a woman, you can't have sex one day, you can't have kids one day. Like You just have to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Would you guys still want to be Christians? And they were honest, and they were like, uh, I would, it would be really hard to be a Christian if, if that was what we were called to like, oh my gosh, like, I don't even know if I could do it. And I was like, that is what our LGBTQ friends who are following Jesus and the historic Christian sexual ethic, that's what they have to deal with. Like their life is so much harder than yours. And so to like mock, just, I was like, guys, come on, we've got to have grace. We've got to understand like, the hard road these people have in their life. And we have to understand like there is that minority, that remnant that are being called out of that lifestyle and and, and they're following Jesus and they're being self-sacrificial and, and and they're they're dying to themselves in ways that you and I could never imagine. And so really like we should be honoring them, not mocking them. Like what so it was a light bulb moment for the guys and it's just been a blessing to see how they've changed in their their viewing of that. But yeah. More empathy, more empathy, more compassion, I think is very needed. Before we end, if you were, if you had the opportunity to sit down with a friend who identifies as a progressive Christian and they said, hey, what's one challenge that you would give to me as a progressive Christian? What would that be? Man, if I was sitting down with somebody who was struggling with feeling like they're more of a progressive Christian, I guess I would say this. If you've been hurt by religion or fundamentalism or legalism, I am so, 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 so sorry. But my encouragement would be two wrongs don't make a right. Just because Christians in your life may have twisted scripture to hurt you, it doesn't mean that scripture no longer holds authority or or place or value in your life. God wrote what he wrote because he desperately loves you and he's working daily to rescue and redeem everything that's broken. And I think progressives, you know, even secular non-Christian ones, one of the things that that marks them is they long for this world free from oppression, free from greed, free from sexism and racism and shame, free from uh, religious legalism, poverty, uh, free from abuse of power and corrupt authorities, free of war and violence. And, And that longing it's not like, oh, that's just what the liberals want. No, like that longing is good and godly. Everyone should want a world free from that stuff. That longing is good and godly, but you won't find a satisfaction to that longing either on the right or the left. You'll only find it in the true person of Jesus and in the kingdom that he is bringing. And the kingdom that you desire is the kingdom that he is promising and that he will bring. Like, 
he is going to free the world of all of that garbage, all of the stuff that progressives fight against in the secular realm. He is working to free us in the spiritual and in the physical realm. But you can't have the kingdom without the king. It doesn't exist. And it's just going to be an earthly, empty version of the kingdom. And I can think of like several personal friends of mine who started their faith journey in conservative fundamentalism and they got hurt and they drifted to progressive Christianity. And now a few years later, they find themselves as atheists and agnostics. And some of those friends, they, they used to be pastors. And that's just, that's just real. Like it's an extremely common progression. Um, are you familiar with uh, John Mark Comer? So he said this, um, he says, I would with a lot of humility argue that progressive theology kills church long-term. It kills faith long-term. It kills discipleship to Jesus long-term, especially if you don't even believe that the writings of the New Testament and the four gospels are in any way, shape, or form authoritative. And just when I heard him say that, like, I want to pass that on. Like, I hope I don't sound like some stuffy, you know, super conservative fundamentalist because I'm I'm not. I've seen a lot of the pain that 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 rigid mentality has caused people. I think we need to be open minded. We need to be empathetic, but I think we also need to to carry what we believe is true. And and so my encouragement to to you listening to this, if you're leaning more progressive, is not you know that you need to double down into fundamentalism or to drift uh, to progressivism. But be willing to face the pain in your religious past and identify what was untrue, toss it overboard, chew up the meat, spit out the bones, and then hold on to what is true. And and even this, I would encourage you, pray with an open heart to Jesus. Jesus, if there's anything about my current expression of Christianity that is not actually good or right, please show me what that is. And I would tell a conservative fundamentalist to like pray the same thing. And it's what I would tell myself to pray. Um, be open to the working of Jesus and be open to him guiding you towards his true kingdom and away from any earthly kingdoms that we try to build for ourselves. And this is the last thing I would say. Progressive Christianity is the easy answer to legalistic fundamentalism, but it's not the right answer. If you encountered some falsehoods in your faith or misrepresentations of Jesus in your faith, the answer is not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say nothing really matters, truth is relevant, scripture says whatever I want it to. The answer when facing doubts and discouragements in the life of faith is to embark on a lifelong journey of discovery of who Jesus is. Steady, learn, blow up false paradigms and replace them with more faithful ones, but do it all under the authority of King Jesus. Because Without him, like all, all you have is an empty kingdom of your own making, basically, is what I would say. So I just have a few recommendations for just anyone who maybe you're leaning a little bit more progressive Christian, or maybe you've struggled with fundamentalism and you're looking for Christian voices that will speak to you where you're at. Um, these are some great resources where I would not call these progressive Christians at all. I would they're they're orthodox. Um but they are speaking to the culture in a way that I feel like is so inviting and, and open. And it's not, you know, the, the preacher beating you over the, the head with the Bible. It's, um, it's much more welcoming. And so I would just encourage you to check out one, uh, The Bible Project. Um, I've learned more from those guys than I did at Bible College. It's just fantastic resource. 
of it, it's these YouTube videos that really paint the picture that the whole Bible is about Jesus and points to Jesus and just some brilliant minds. Dr. Tim Mackey from Western Seminary is a genius and I appreciate him so much. So Bridgetown Church in Portland with Pastor John Mark Comer. Um, just you, you heard his quote earlier in the episode, but he's a fantastic preacher. Um, Preston Sprinkle is uh, just this amazing theological mind who he is a non-affirming guy when it comes to gender and sexuality. He, he holds the historic Christian stance, but he is one of the most willing to bend over backwards to love LGBTQ people that I've ever seen. He wrote a book called People to be Loved, specifically about uh, LGBTQ people. Fantastic resource. And then Dominic Doan from uh, West Side a Jesus Church, he wrote a book called uh, When Faith Fails that's all about doubt and uh, helping Christians work through their doubts and insecurities about the faith. And then uh, just shout out to my former youth pastor, Evan Wickham and his church, uh, Park Hill Church in San Diego. The sermons are so filled with grace and mercy uh, and, and truth. And so I would encourage any of you guys to check out these resources. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about Can I Say That? Our guests on the show or submit questions and participate in polls, please join us on Instagram at Can I Say That Show? We love interacting with our audience and hearing how this show has affected, changed, and challenged you in your own walk. So please join us.